adultery. Maybe you've heard it before. This woman's caught in adultery, and so a bunch of the religious heat elite people grab her, and they drag her up the steps to the temple, it says. And here she is outside the temple. She's 30 feet away from where they offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. And then, you know, 70 feet away from the Holy of Holies where the law supposedly is. And they bring her to Jesus and they say, she was caught in adultery. She was caught with another man. Should we stone her? Because that's sort of what they did then. That's why the whole Mary thing was like, my goodness, she's, you know, pregnant, out of wedlock, all that kind of stuff. There were really old-time kind of rules, even before Mary had her dilemma, that said that you just kill them, you stone them, you, you, you put them to death in some kind of means. And so here they are with this woman say, you want us to just stone her? And, and what does Jesus do? If you remember the story, and she's the last place she wanted to be right there before the temple, Jesus, he kneels down with her and he looks around at them and he says, all right, you want to stone her? I'll let you stone her. Why don't you just take her down there to the Valley of Gehenna, which is where the dump heap was and there was burning fires and, and you just stone her down there because nobody's going to stone her up here at the temple. He called their bluff on that one. And he says, I only have one stipulation that when you go and stone her, when you go and kill her, what you need to do is the person uh, who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all went, what? Oh, okay. And as he leans down to her, he says, where are your condemners? They're gone. And here's Jesus. Can you see Jesus? He's the one who came to sacrifice his life for the forgiveness of sins, right? And he looks at her and he says, and you, you know what he says. You're familiar with what he says. Neither do I condemn you. In other words, I forgive you. You remember that statement? But there's a second statement, and it's not as famous as the first statement in this story. When he says, neither do I condemn you, what does he say? He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And that wasn't some type of, oh, i got to really get my act together here and not sin anymore. Okay, Jesus got you on that one. It was like, no, he says, you are forgiven. I do not condemn you. But now go and you sin no more. And the reason he could say that is because he had this other verse that's familiar to us. And he said this to the Pharisees. It's my favorite verse, really, the second part of it. It says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He knows that the adversary steals. He knows that just, you know, it's just an analogy. That's what a thief does, comes and takes things away, takes away real life. And he says, I have come. I have come in one sense, not just to forgive sins, but to give you life. And what kind of life is it that Jesus is giving us? What kind of life did he come to give through Mary? What kind of life did he give to the woman who was caught in that adultery? The Apostle Paul is a very smart man, theologian. Later on, he says it this way. Therefore, referencing what all that God has Christ has done, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. You got that? Do not let sin reign means what? To rule, to be in control, to possess you, to take a hold of your life. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. 
Now, what kind of sin reigns in your life and my life? Well, we have a whole list of all kinds of sin that could reign in our life. Sins of, sins of indifference, sins of, of rebellion, sins of addiction. You name the sin. And Jesus, through the Apostle Paul here, says, I've come to give you life, but do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let sin be king. Do not let sin reign and have control. Do not let sin rule over your life. He knew the condition of the human being. And he saw the brokenness of the world. And the brokenness of individuals. And he sees your brokenness here this morning. Where you're a young little uh, person from our elementary age. To somebody that's in their seasoned years. We all wrestle with sin. And Jesus was born so that the world could be saved from their sins. Paul says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as of an instrument of wickedness, but rather, but rather do what? Do not offer the parts of your body sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. For sin shall not be your master. That addictive behavior that's destroying you, whether it's your lack of control in finances, whether it's some chemical dependency, it shall not be your master. Anger shall not be your master. Jealousy shall not be your master. Bitterness shall not be your master. You name it, you plug in your sin there. It shall not be your master. This is what Paul's exhorting them because he's seen the history of what's happened since Christ came. He was born, he lived, he died, he rose again. And what Jesus did through the power of the cross and the resurrection, he did something more incredible than we often think. He not only died to save us from the penalty of our sin, but from the power of sin. And even if you're still dealing with the consequences of your sin, and you may for the rest of your life, you can know this. You don't have to deal with the power of that sin over your life. Sin shall no longer be your master. Do not let sin be the one who reigns in your life. For it says this, a familiar verse to many of us may be growing up, in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, sin kills. Sin kills marriages. Sin kills relationships among siblings, sons and daughters. Sin kills your own self-respect for who you are because of some type of pattern in your life sin continues to kill today it'll continue to kill but god came so that you may have power over sin the gift of god is eternal life and we think oh god i get heaven that's pretty cool yeah we get heaven but this means life a full and abundant life a life to the full forgiveness for but freedom from that's the gift of Christmas. Have you received the gift of Christmas? Or do you just move through another Christmas season worshiping God, thanking Him for His forgiveness, but still living in the death grip of sin in your life? Sin shall not be your master. 
Christian, I want to speak to you directly because this is true of my life. Weekly, on a regular basis, I'm confronted by evidences of my sin. I was confronted by evidence of my sin the last couple days. What do I do with that? Do I just continue to, to let it be master over my life, or do I try to dig out my ears, listen to the Spirit of God, even through others, and say, no, I'm not going to let it be my master? Are you letting sin reign in your life in a way that you just need to recognize that Jesus, as you surrender fully to him, he came to give you his spirit, to give you the power over sin. Sin shall not be your master. You fill in the blank, believer. And if you're not a Christ follower this morning, and maybe you're sort of, this is a great time to come to church. We're glad that you're here. We'd love to have you back, be a regular part of things. Just lock arms and go on a spiritual journey together. But this is what I would say to you. Sin doesn't have to be your master. You see, for a Christ follower, they reckon it as true. Reckon yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ, the scriptures say. You have the power of Christ in you. So as a believer in Christ, you do not let sin be your master. You don't salute it. You say, no, you're not going to control me. I don't have to fall in that way again. You have the power of Christ. If Christ does not dwell in you yet, this is your hope. Sin doesn't have to be your master. You can be forgiven of sin. Yes, past, present, future. God forgives sin as you come to him. But the greater gift is the power over that sin. And sin does not have to be your master. You may have been chalking it up to, oh, that's just the way I was raised. Oh, I just got this. I just had bad parents or this happened to me with my boss or I just don't have any self-discipline together. You may have all kinds of reasons and excuses. and I'm not knocking that. It's fine. But I I just wanted to have you lean into me and, and hear me say, could it be that in your life there's a power operating that you need a Joshua, a Yeshua, a Jesus to come and be the warrior king that takes over so that you do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. It's the power of Christ that we need in our life. That's the gift. The gift is eternal life, his life living within us to overcome sin. And your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, all the people where you go like, they got some sin, man, like Rome, man, they, 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 they need a savior from their sin, right? They need more than just forgiveness. They need the power and the life of Jesus living within them. Sin doesn't have to be their master either. So pray in that regards. You are to give him the name Jesus, Joshua. He will save his people from their sins. So that's it. Who needs Christmas? The world needs Christmas. It's a mess. God needed Christmas. He needed to demonstrate his love. And we need Christmas. For he came to save us from sin. I'm going to pray, and when we pray, we're going to step into a time of just worship. Pick up your candles underneath your chairs if you want.
but a little bit. Someone will come to light your candle. But I want you to take these moments and worship him. For on that silent night many years ago, hope came into this world. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus. Yeshua, Joshua, we need help.